Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today, Dr. Foley Beach brings us the message entitled, The Coming Judge and the Mountain of the Lord. Here now is our speaker and teacher for A Word from the Lord, Archbishop Foley Beach. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning is the first Sunday of the season of Advent and we're beginning a sermon series of which I'm entitled Advent Sermons from Isaiah. And what I'm hoping to do is take some of these passages from Isaiah and try to make sense of them. So oftentimes we read Isaiah or some of the Old Testament prophets and you think, what in the world is this talking about? And so I'm going to try to help bring some clarity. If you have your Bible or if you have the scripture insert, if you'd please open with me to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. This is what Isaiah, or as some people say, Isaiah. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now the prophet Isaiah lived in the 7th century B.C. We believe his ministry started 740 B.C. That would be about 2744, 2,744 years ago. Most of his ministry centered around Jerusalem and in that area there. And he had a message of which he would hear these or see these visions from the Lord or have these dreamlike states and then he'd write it down. But he would go out and proclaim to the people what he saw in the vision. Some of them received it, some of them he was quite unpopular. Many contemporary scholars debate whether the book of Isaiah that we have here is all his. Some people think that someone added a piece here and someone added a piece here and they put it all together. I personally believe it's all of Isaiah's. Now let me talk briefly about prophecy in general. Most of what we know about Jesus in the New Testament is fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah. But there are also prophecies in the Old Testament that have not yet been fulfilled. And not everybody agrees on when they're going to be fulfilled. Now Jesus fulfilled much of that and most of that we know by the New Testament writers. And thanks to how they interpret the, the, 
some of these Old Testament prophecies, we're able to know what means what. We've got 2,000 years of scholarship and people still debate about what it all means. Now here we say, what, this is what Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is the second vision that he records. Chapter 1 is, is the first vision. And this is his second vision, which is a prophecy. In the last days, in the last days, what in the world does that mean? When are the last days? Well, throughout church history, their field of study evolved called eschatology, which is the study or the doctrine of last things. And there are volumes and volumes written about how people interpret what the last days are all to be about. The New Testament apostles referred to their time as the last days. And then, as they so often do, they echoed Jesus' words and they would say that then nobody would know when the last days were. Everyone wants to figure it out, but no one knows. I don't know if you saw yesterday's paper. There was an article about the author of the Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye. And evidently, a, a man by the name of Hank Hanegraaff has written another book called The Last Disciple. And he's got a little series he's going to present. And it's a total different angle on what's happening in the last days. Now, both of these are conservative theological scholars. And yet they're approaching this from a total different area. Now Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, He said, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then you remember what happened right after that. Verse 9 it says, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Since that day, Christians have been looking for Jesus to come again any day, every day, expecting Him to return. Now in the first century, those New Testament early believers began to die. And Jesus hadn't come yet. And what did this mean now? Would they be left out? Well, the Apostle Paul addresses this in his letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning those who die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So when are the last days? Well, in one sense, if you take all of history, we're in the last days, the age of the Messiah. 
But in another sense, we're waiting for Jesus to return and we don't know when the last day will be. Well, back to our text. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. By the way, this is the, almost the same exact words the prophet Micah uses in Micah chapter 4. Now here when he says the mountain of the Lord, he's speaking of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It was the site of the temple, or should I say temples. The temple mount, as it's now called, has a Muslim, or Muslim mosque on it called the Dome of the Rock. It's in Israel, but it's controlled by the Palestinian Authority. This is the place where Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him. And the Lord provided the ram for the sacrifice. This is the site where the temple was in Jesus' day when they were sacrificing animals for the, for the forgiveness of sins. This is the place where the veil of the temple was torn. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he died and the veil was ripped in two. This is where it happened. The mountain of the Lord. Now Isaiah says here in the last days, first that the temple will be rebuilt on it. 2a. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. And then down in verse 3. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. The temple will, will be rebuilt. Secondly, it will be chief among the mountains. Well, if you've been there, it really already is chief among the mountains. Many peoples will come to that mountain. And they'll come to the mountain to be taught, to hear the word of the Lord. The mountain of the Lord. An interesting study is to go through Isaiah and, and highlight all of the places it says the mountain of the Lord and see how Isaiah, who loves this term, addresses what will happen around and on the mountain of the Lord. But then he continues talking about the coming judge. Verse 4, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, they, their spears into pruning hooks, Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The Messiah would not only teach the law of God and speak the word of the Lord, he would come to judge. And this is a theme of the season of Advent, that the Messiah will come back again to judge. We prayed a few minutes ago the colic of the day for this first Sunday of Advent, that special prayer for this day. That in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty... To throw a great party? Bring all kinds of gifts and presents? No. That in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. Now there are several schools of thought about what Isaiah is talking about when he says that the Messiah is going to judge. I'd like us to spend a few minutes and talk about the five judgments that the Bible speaks about. There are five different types of judgment that the Scripture talks of, and it's easy to get them all confused. The first is the judgment of the believer's sins. We see this in John 5, 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into the judgment, but has passed out of death into life. 
The believer of the, excuse me, the judgment of the believer's sins is what happens when we come to Christ by faith. He takes our sins and he nails them to the cross. It's what the Apostle Paul discussed in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he said, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The judgment of the believer's sins. That's the first judgment. The second is the judgment of the believer's self-life. And this is a judgment we place on ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-one. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. To judge our self-life is to move from self-centered, me-centered living to Christ-centered living. To judge our self-life is to deny self, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. To judge our self-life is to no longer be self-controlled, but be Christ-controlled. To be controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is a personal judgment that we do. A third judgment in the Scripture is the judgment of the believer's deeds. Judgment of the believer's deeds. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Apostle Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is what's often referred to as the judgment seat of Christ. This is a judgment only for believers, not for unbelievers. You see, our sins have already been judged on the cross. It's not a judgment on our sins. Remember, Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a judgment on our deeds. And it'll be used as a basis to hand out rewards for the good things that we have done. Each of us has to give an account of our stewardship, of the gifts, of the talents, of the relationships, of the resources that God has given to us. And this is when it'll occur. The Apostle Paul in his letter to Romans chapter 14 writes, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. The fourth judgment is the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations. This is the judgment when Jesus comes again in his glory. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 31, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The judgment of the nations. And in the fifth is the judgment of the wicked. The unbelievers. Judgment of the wicked as the scripture describes it. This is often called the, the great white throne judgment because in Revelation it's described as a great white throne. This is the judgment of the dead, those who die or live without Christ. Revelation 20, verse 11. 
And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of the fire. This is the judgment of the, the dead, of the wicked. So there are five different types of judgment in the Bible. The judgment of the believer's sin, the judgment of the believer's self-life, the judgment of the believer's deeds, the judgment of the nations, and the judgment of the wicked or the dead. As the Nicene Creed affirms, and we say almost every Sunday, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now which one of these judgments is Isaiah speaking about in this passage? Let's look again at verse 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. He's going to judge between the nations. This is the judgment of the nations. The effect of this can be seen in the last part of the prophecy. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. His judgment on the nations will bring peace at last. No more war, no more violence, no more fighting. Isaiah ends his prophecy about the coming judge and the mountain of the Lord with an exhortation. It's an exhortation which I still think makes total sense. An exhortation which is good for us to hear as we approach Christmas. An exhortation which is loaded with meaning. Isaiah 2 verse 5. Come, O house of the Lord, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come, O people of God, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For those of us who know Him, this means to live in awareness of His presence. It means to live in personal holiness. It means to live in His light, in His very presence. The Apostle John defines it best in his first letter, 1 John 5, 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Walk in the light of His presence. We have fellowship with one another. We have freedom from the power of sin because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. When you walk in the light, you can see. When you walk in the light, you don't trip. When you walk in the light, you're aware. When you walk in the light, you can see where you're going and you can see what's up ahead. What a great word for us today. We are so tempted to walk in doom and gloom and negativity and darkness. 
We read the headlines or we see what's on the news and we go through something difficult and it's doom and gloom. Isn't life awful? Let us walk in the light of the Lord. One day the judge will come, yes. One day the mountain will be reclaimed, yes. But for now, let us walk in the light of the Lord. One day the light of the world will shine brightly from Jerusalem. For now, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You see, He can shine brightly through us if we'll let Him. But we've got to be willing to walk in His light. Beloved in Christ, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Thank you for listening to a word from the Lord. I would like to take a few moments and and give you the opportunity to become a believing Christian. I know today we have a lot of folks who go to church and are real religious, but if you were to ask them if they really know Jesus Christ, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. And I don't know if you're one of those people this morning, but if you've never become a believing Christian, I'd like to give you just a simple... ABC, not a gimmick, but but just the way it is. A is for acknowledging that you're a sinner. We live in a culture which says, you know, basically we don't make mistakes, but we do. And when we measure up against God's Ten Commandments, um, all of us have fallen short in some way. We've all messed up, and and that's called sin, and we need to acknowledge that. The B is, is to believe, to believe in Jesus and what He's done on the cross is God's remedy for our sin is God's solution for being alienated from Him. To believe that through Jesus I can be made whole, that I can be healed, that I can be forgiven. And the C is for confess. Confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. A lot of folks receive Him as their Savior. They want their, what I call, fire insurance, make sure they don't go to hell. But they aren't willing to allow Him to be their Lord, to be the one who is it the master of their life? And, and to confess that, uh, to be willing to share that with those you love and those you care about, that Jesus is your Lord. So it's really that simple. Um, and yet it's that powerful that it makes such an eternal difference. Um, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the solution. And confess that Jesus is your Lord. I invite you to stop what you're doing right now and and say a simple prayer. Uh, Confess your sin to Him. Tell Him you believe in Him. And then begin to confess Him as your Savior and Lord. If you've done that, I encourage you to uh, let me know. I'd like to send you some materials to help you grow in your Christian faith. It's it's like becoming a a baby all over again, and there's some things you need to know, some, some things you need to learn in order to walk with God. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. Awordfromthelord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one-minute radio feature and much more. So visit awordfromthelord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. 
On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. We thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.